Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 196. This week we talk with Michael Zuhl about building bots. Apple finally figures out what everyone has been telling them. And the evolution of the command line. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week, we have Michael Zuhl. He's the principal software engineer at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. He's a blogger, podcaster, open source contributor, and a Microsoft MVP. He lives in Virginia with his wife, who is in the process of raising their three-year-old twins. Much harder than programming, that's for sure. Well, anyway, welcome, Michael. Hey. <laughs> that 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 would be an unimaginable amount of work. So, <laughs> I, I didn't know how I was going to survive when we first had them. Because, yeah. You know, yeah, they were on a... three hour feeding cycles. So. Yeah. Well, usually they come out in cereal, but you decided to do it in parallel, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's uh, requires a lot more bandwidth. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then you have, uh, you have a podcast. Why don't you, uh, why don't you pitch your podcast? I do Me, me and my co-host Bill Ahern, uh, we do code punk, which is, um, technology podcast but we try to sneak in a little bit of cyberpunk stuff because we're both children of the 80s so every once in a while we'll actually talk about something cyberpunk related as opposed to just pure technology very cool very cool and i am currently in uh salt lake city and uh i i comb my hair with the uh, with the swimming pool uh that's my uh the, my style <laughs> these days <laughs> but uh yeah so, so that's... check out the youtube video for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's where i'm at right now so what's going on with you carl uh, not much. I just want to remind everybody that Jason and I uh, will be at that conference this year. So uh, go check it out. Uh, Jason told me we might not have tickets because he might have been slacking. So uh, no, I just haven't just done it yet. The halls. No, no. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> well, you're living in a van down by the river and we'll be yeah. getting the second rate conference experience too. Well, honestly, it's it's probably pretty easy to sneak in, honestly. So I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> you can just create, create uh, all joking aside. <laughs> yeah, we'll be there again this year uh, doing some recordings. And uh, if there's anybody who is at that conference that you're interested in hearing about, let us know and we will go out of our way to make sure that we get an interview done with them. And uh, if you will be attending there, definitely come up, talk to us. We love hearing from you. And uh, I will probably have swag. Awesome. You would definitely have swag. Uh, so, Carl, what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, the comment of the week uh, was a comment on our uh, show notes from last episode uh, about Microsoft Teams. He said he just finished listening to the episode, and it was mentioned that MS Teams is part of Office 365. So he went and checked his Office 365. He has O365 Home Edition, and Teams is not part of that version. And then you responded, yep, uh, you need to have an enterprise version. Right. Uh, so there will be a link in the show notes. I actually went out and found exactly the smallest tier that uh, you can have MS Teams in is the Office 365 Business Premium one. And then when if you do have that and you're not seeing Teams, your admin needs to click a checkbox 
uh, for it yeah. to be activated. I was going to say every, yeah. every case, every time I've talked to a partner and they've wanted to turn it on, like they've, they've reached out their administrator and it, it really was like, just like a checkbox. Like it's a checkbox. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm an admin for uh, oh. one and it's literally a checkbox. And uh, so if you want to get mentioned on the show, like Rod, uh, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com or comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. And we really like those five-star iTunes reviews as well. Yes. We'll have to go out and look at those. Uh, we haven't looked in a while, so we'll, we'll pick one of those probably for next week. Okay. So in the news, we got Apple launches repair program for faulty MacBook and MacBook Pro keyboards. Wow, that was quick. You want to talk about this, Carl? <laughs> or do you want me to rant? <laughs> uh, so well, for those of you who aren't into Apple products, because we talked a little bit before the show and Michael says, I don't do anything Apple. Yeah. So good. I didn't idea. say that. I don't, I don't have a MacBook. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because well, you can be well, a Microsoft well, person and use a, use an Apple. I mean like the, yeah. that's not really where the, where the money is, right? Like the, yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, Carl. Yeah. So, so anyways, with their uh, recent uh, MacBooks, I think it was the previous two, they had a new style of key switch in there. And with them, there's been a lot of uh, people reporting that dust gets in there. And just a speck of dust is enough for you to uh, ruin the keyboard. Uh, if you try using uh, canned air, um, that really doesn't work. It's kind of hit or miss. Yeah. If you start messing with the keyboard keys themselves, you're going to avoid the warranty. And when you take it into an Apple repair shop, it's somewhere around $800 to get it fixed. So we have a couple link, uh, links that are going to be in the show notes. One of them talking about the, re the repair program where Apple will now repair them for free or no cost. And the other one talking about how Apple just really badly engineered the keyboard, uh, how they glued it to the battery and the speakers. So there's no way you can just like replace the battery. You kind of got to replace half of the laptop while you're at it. Yep. And that's why it's so expensive. And they did that as a way to, you know, conserve space and make it a lot uh, thinner to when it's assembled. Yeah. Basically around each of these keys, there's like, you know, like the tiniest little space. And my understanding is that something will get into there. And uh, I don't know if it's even like an eyelash or something like that, but yeah. These, these keys on mine, I have the 2017 model, the keys will just stop working or they'll get stuck. And uh, it's it just sucks. Like for a while, uh, what was it? I think it was my, it's like the shift key or something. Like it was like a critical key just stopped working on mine. And uh, I actually thought it was going to be broken. I kind of shook it, flipped it upside down, sprayed it with air. Um, I was able to get it working, but you can tell that they are super prone to this type of issue. And I actually knew that buying it, like... Apple is totally disingenuous when they say that they didn't know about this problem. I mean, I knew about it when I purchased a laptop. So I purchased the Apple Care Plus, which was over $400 on this machine. I don't know if they do it as like a percentage of the laptop or whatever. Uh, but I figured that was cheaper than that. And I knew it was like pretty much a guarantee that the keyboard would need to get replaced. So I paid for that. Now they are fixing them for people. They won't charge you the seven or $800. But... Um, I'm not going to get the money back from the Apple Care Plus, and that was the only reason that I got it. So I'm I'm a little bitter about that. You know, my Surface Pro uh, Four keyboard is working just fine. Yeah, just well, and actually, <laughs> you know, that is that is actually on the on the Surface, and even on the Surface Book, that is a super super nice feature that you can just pop off the keyboard and replace it. Yeah. Um, obviously, on the Surface Pro, it's a lot cheaper to to replace that because I've I've had issues with that, and if you spill a soda on it, you just get a new keyboard for a hundred bucks. Uh, this is just the complete opposite of that. 
So, yeah, so the next item on the news is Azure IoT Edge is now generally available. Woo-hoo. So for those of you who are into IoT, uh, IoT Edge is a way for you to run custom code as well as certain Azure services locally on devices without needing to communicate to the cloud. Uh, something I've been super into for the last year. Yep. And uh, if uh, you're interested in it, uh, co- go check it out. So have you guys seen there's a there's a YouTube video um TNW conference, the 2018 James Whitaker's uh, talk there. And I'll, I'll have to get you the link for it. Um, and he talks about how everything just kind of boils down to data. And it's, it's just a fantastic um, talk that he gave. And what I like about it is there's no real f- fear mongering as far as the collection of all this data. He's basically saying the collection of this data is coming and ultimately it's going to make for a better world. And, you know, I mean, with, with a lot of the stuff that Azure's doing and, and specifically he talked about, you know, what's good about a web, a web, you know, ensnares you, whereas everything's now in the cloud. Um, it's just a really great talk. Oh, a cloud rains on you and causes precipitation. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did I take the analogy too far? Sorry. Maybe. Um, yeah, and we actually had uh, we actually had James Whitaker on the show as as well. So um, if you go back like a hundred episodes in the podcast, you'll you'll see the episode with him, um, and he was talking about a lot of the a lot of the similar things there. So I think he's been uh, refining that talk as as time has yeah. gone on. So I think your version is probably a little bit uh, a little bit newer. I played it for everybody here at the office just so that they could see it. Cool, cool. Yeah. So the the. The Azure IoT Edge being, you know, generally available, I think is is pretty huge because there was this shift. There was, you know, on-prem software, and then we went to the cloud. And I think some people just got a little crazy and saying everything yeah. needs to be in the cloud now. And there's a there's an obvious advantage to that in so much software, but there's so many cases where you do need that local processing or you need that edge processing uh, in like a gateway or something like that. So it it just it makes a lot of sense in scenarios and the adoption that I'm seeing. Uh, is is pretty phenomenal, and I would say like yeah, a good portion of Carl's time has spent been spent uh, working with people on IoT Edge, so um, it's popular for sure. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Windows command line. So what's up with this, Carl? Yeah, so uh, I think it was a year or two ago we had talked to uh, uh, Richard Rich Turner. Uh, yep, can't remember Rich Turner. Turner. Yep, and yes. And that was shortly after he took a position at Microsoft where he started working on uh, the Windows command line and the Windows subsystem for Linux. And we were pretty excited about what was going on at at the time. And he's uh, just started writing a series of blog posts about uh, the history of the Windows command line and and the Windows subsystem for Linux, like going back to like – why we even have terminals in, in computers. Yeah. And these are really in-depth. They have tons of links. I recommend anybody to check them out. And it goes over the decisions that have been made over the years and why our our uh, you know our command line in Windows is the way it is and the decisions that they're making right now to interrupt uh, much more uh, fluidly with Windows and Linux as well. Uh, so... I'm going to leave these as links for most of the people to check out. But one of the things, one of the quotes I want to pull out of the second article was in 2014, a new small Windows console team was formed, charged with the task of unraveling, understanding, and improving the console code base, which at this time was over 28 years old, older than all of the developers working on it. (laughs) That's hilarious. That is, that is super cool though. I mean, it's, it's so so useful. I, I, I remember, God, it was probably 15 years ago when I was like, you know, I could see, 
it, it was a time when there were still some command line tools for for Windows, and then and then like everything was being turned into a GUI. And to me, it felt like it was trending toward everything was going to be a GUI. And I actually, I mean, at the time, admittedly, I was like, yeah, this is this is great. Like, I never want to have to touch a command line again. <laughs> that was my attitude at, at the time. And it's it's so interesting to me seeing sort of a, a big reversal of that. I mean, obviously, there's places where GUIs make sense, and we're going to continue to use them like that. But there's also just this uh, big improvement of the command line. It's It's super exciting. Uh, what else we got here? You got something in the news section here, Carl, about the preferred bag to carry. Yeah. So I, I, I thought that I'd try something new and try to have a conversation with the audience. I know as developers, we like having opinions on lots of things and we, uh, uh, especially when it comes to hardware and I've been really kind of going back and forth and thinking about what I used to carry my hardware in. So uh, backpack, messenger bag, so on and so forth. So I thought, I'd like to pull the audience. What is your preferred bag to carry a laptop in and why? And I, I also want to hear the use case that you're doing it for because uh, there's there's tons of bags and some of them are better for certain scenarios. So, uh, you know, are you just every day bringing your laptop to and from work? Are you flying? Um, maybe you have a special bag for conferences. Um, I'm definitely putting a lot of thought in that and maybe even considering multiple bags. So, you know, what what is... Uh, what are you using and, and why? I think that that might be a, a really cool thing to talk about in an episode or two. Well, the best bag clearly is the MS Dev Show bag, which is what I use. <laughs> and and it's a it's a Tom Bin bag, you know, with a with the MS Dev Show logo on it. Um, what I like about it is that it weighs almost nothing, um, but it's still built. I mean, it looks like brand new, honestly. It will it will last longer than I care to keep it for sure. But again, it's all about the weight. Um, the pockets and everything aren't necessarily designed the way that I would like them. But I don't care because it's, it's 100% for me about having less and less weight because I've had situations where I've had to stand there, you know, with my backpack on and it hurts my back. I don't know. I'm just a wuss maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. For me, it's all about the weight. But Michael, you showed a bag there. What, what, what were you sporting? Yeah, so that, that's a Code 10 bag. It, it was either an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter. Um, okay. It's waterproof. Um, it's waterproof, which is good. And um, I got it because in Charlottesville, parking is a premium. Um, and yeah. It's not unusual to have to uh, walk 15 to 20 minutes from your car to where you actually work. And so this is it's very comfortable. It's supposed to be tech ready. Again, it's waterproof. I've got, been caught in the rain. Um and it just it just works really well. I was a little skeptical at first. It was rather expensive, and it was coming all the way from Hong Kong. Uh, but it showed up, and uh, yeah. it's worked well for me. I was gonna say, if it was like an Indiegogo, does it have like Bluetooth speakers built in or something? <laughs> <laughs> it has like a sleeve that you can pull out and put your laptop in, okay. you know, with a couple of extra compartments. But it has a lock on it. It says it's theft proof, but it's more like a theft deterrent because I'm sure somebody <laughs> could just rip it right off the pole. <laughs> I don't care. Just having a lock and a, and a wire doesn't make it theft proof. Yeah. Put your put your $3,000 laptop in it and, and put it on a yeah. pole and see what happens. That'll be that'd be pretty amusing. Okay, cool. So yeah, just, uh, um, I you know, everybody send us feedback, uh, feedback at msdevshow.com and let us know what kind of bag you're using. That, that'll be kind of cool to see what people use and why. And then uh, when we do talk about that, I'll tell uh, what I have been deciding on using. But I will say, you know, one of the reasons why I, I'm moving away from like a traditional backpack is 
even though it, like you said, I was using the exact same bag as you and it was comfortable and it was super light. Yeah. It held, it was capable of holding more than what I needed to. So I put more in there than I needed to. <laughs> and then it was too heavy again. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. So should we talk about bots now? Yeah. Let's yeah, let's do this. Bots. Awesome. So, uh, <laughs> Michael, I thought we'd start with my, my most recent bot experience, which was with uh, DirecTV Now. And actually the entire experience was... Well, it's amusing, I guess, in, in hindsight, uh, but basically I was trying to update my address because I'm moving you know, from Washington to uh, Wisconsin. And uh, so I, I updated my address with them, and instead of getting Washington local stations, I started getting Texas local stations. So I'm like, oh, here's a little online chat thing with uh, basically with AT&T who owns DirecTV. So to get to the chat, it said, what's your name? I filled in my name. I said, you know, I put in Jason. Then uh, the bot said, let me get you to – or actually, it asked me a couple of questions, and it, of course, it had no idea what I was talking about. So it said, to assist you better, please tell us your first name. So I typed in Jason, and it already knew my name. So I was – you know, the bot was labeled as DirecTV Now. I was labeled as Jason. So in the chat, it said, Jason said Jason. <laughs> um, and then it said, thank you, Jason. We will now connect you to a live chat specialist. The first thing that Sharon said to me, may I know – with whom I have the pleasure of chatting with. And of course, I typed in Jason, and it said, Jason said Jason. <laughs> um, so it was basically my name repeated over and over again. Uh, so I had to enter my name three times, one to start the chat, one to tell the bot my name for no particular reason. I don't know why it asked at all. And then the third one was to tell Sharon, who obviously has no access to the original system nor the bot system. Um, so, I mean, it was just, uh, it was a really bad experience. So it seems like it's, I saw that and I, yeah, go ahead. I thought that was absolutely, I thought it was absolutely hilarious when I saw that because almost yeah. every single bot framework example that you could possibly do any tutorial always starts with what is your name? Hello, what is your name? And yeah. then you type it in and it shows you how to put it in the, in, you know, in the session data. So like I have a, um, a <laughs> so, test bot yeah. that I have deployed to, to, to Skype that I use for testing purposes. I must have deployed it a year and a half ago. It still knows what my name is because it hasn't reset the session data. So for, that's inexcusable. That's crazy. For how, that did even you do, how did you do that? <laughs> you must have it's like, like you must be like a super elite coder compared to those people over at AT&T <laughs> who now like it's, own it's, everything it's really by funny. the way. <laughs> and and some of those some of those old some of those bots are kind of older bots where they're not technically using any, you know, cognitive yeah. services or any natural language processing. It's just a system, you know, and a bunch of choose your own adventure style uh, uh, dialogues uh, to kind of collect data, yeah. but the fact that it doesn't actually collect the data and pass it on to the next system Next system is just bad. It's a completely bad user experience. Yeah. So, that, so that's your that's probably that's your theory as to what happened here. It's like three different systems, probably built by different teams, uh, for you know, forced together, integrated together at some point by a different team. It's probably what's and, and maybe on. the second person was actually a bot too, and it's just a series of bots, and you never actually got to it first. <laughs> a series. The internet is just a series of bots now. That's what they always say on Reddit, right? Like. Everybody's convinced that you know they're the, actually the only person on Reddit, and everything else is just a bot. So <laughs> it's all it's all just you. So 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 like you said in the in the tutorials, it's pretty easy to avoid this issue, right? Like if you actually know what you're doing and how to create a bot, like this is like bot 101, right? Yeah, you can store stuff in session. You can store stuff just in a dialogue. It's it's very simple. It's just an inexcusable user experience. But yeah. I think you're gonna run into a lot of roadblocks like that. User experience in chat is difficult. Um, 
in fact, a lot of times I have done a lot of speaking engagements with bot framework and, and designing and developing bots. And I always talk about kind of a difference between, um, making something effective versus making something usable because it's not yeah. really, you're not, you can't design a bot in isolation. You can build a highly effective bot that does what it's supposed to do and it can still be useless. So one of the examples that, that I always give is the UPS bot because everybody likes to track their own packages and uh, it's very effective. I mean, it'll, it'll mostly do what you expect it to do. The problem is that you can do it better many different other ways. So whether it's in your email or it's on a website, you can actually have a better experience than if you actually try to use the bot. So one things, one of the things that I try to drive home to a lot of people who are trying to build out these chatbots and what you're seeing a lot, I mean, you'll hear a lot of news items will pop up and it'll talk about this company's developing this bot, this company's developing that bot. So you see news about chatbots. You don't hear a lot of news about customers saying, boy, I love that chatbot experience because there aren't a whole right. lot out there. It's, it's very much a novelty. And if you can do it better in a different app, people are going to use the other app. So, so you really can't design the chat bot in, in isolation. You have to say, where else is some, this functionality being done? And am I even adding any value by building it into a chat bot? Yeah. And actually I was listening to a podcast recently. I'll have to dig it up. It was either NPR, Planet Money or Radio Lab, where they were, they were talking about, uh, um, these these college students who would get scholarships but then wouldn't show up for school they they basically get blocked at at some point and they actually created a bot to help a, um, answer questions for these uh, these people and they actually found that it was incredibly effective believe it or not um, I always thought you know every time I, I I you know get a bot on a site I'm just like no you're not gonna be able to help me like if 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 you could help me I could have just used the website to figure it out myself um, but the, the insight that I thought was interesting from them was that, uh, you know, they actually interviewed some of these people that use the bot and they're like, well, I don't, I don't want to talk to a human because they're like, then it, I feel stupid and it feels like they solve the problem for me. I wanted to feel like I solved the problem and the bot is a tool that I can utilize for that. And I thought that was really interesting, but I'll have to dig up that podcast uh, so that the people can go back and listen to it because I, I thought it was a really great example of a, of a a bot that was incredibly useful. And I wonder if some of that's generational too. Uh, a lot of the older generation used to doing things a certain way, whether it's through web, through web search, or even yeah. through a mobile app. For well, that's me, the old guy. Younger, younger, <laughs> yeah. younger and younger generations might be used to things like whether it's Alexa or, or Cortana or um, using a chat bot services like that. Yeah. So in the last month, I've gotten at least three emails. I know one of them was from my bank saying that they've had new bots for me to interact with. <laughs> have you seen – I know, right? Yeah. Have, have you seen some like really good shining examples of where uh, bots work well? I think we're – and this is interesting. So when I was at the so, – so in doing a lot of speaking engagements, you know, I, I sent out a lot of call for proposals. And it seems to be that the reaction to those proposals is either highly positive, we definitely want to hear you talk about this, or uh, no, we, we've got absolutely no interest in this at all. It's very binary. Uh, either you're excited about chatbots or you're not. And I had a conversation with uh, with James Mann, who's another Microsoft MVP, when I was at the uh, the MVP summit, and we were talking kind of about this and and how the uh, how it's so binary. And I think one of the reasons why is that there is no killer app. Um, and I think most of the effective and useful bots you're actually going to find are going to be ones that are very much uh, fill a specific need. I find that us as developers, bots inside of Slack or inside of GitHub or inside of Microsoft Teams 
work really well because they're delivering specific information to us about certain things for on the consumer end. I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing anything that really stand, stands out and makes you say, I definitely want to build more chatbots. I definitely want to interact with more. This is a service I would much rather use than some other service. Um, I think you'll start to see some of that with the way that bots integrate with, uh, uh, things like Cortana and things like Alexa, because you can kind of turn that, that skill on and, and people like to kind of interact with it that way. But I think we're, we're reaching a point to where the tools are there, especially with the Microsoft bot framework with the SDK version four and some of the tooling they're building out. They've really increased kind of that end to end, uh, development stream. And I, and I, I'm, I think we're on the cusp of actually seeing those, those killer apps, things that are going to make people say, I definitely want to use bots for this as opposed to some other application. Yes. Um, I I think you really kind of nailed something right there. And I I just want to like give a small example for it is like, we're kind of at the beginning of this bot technology. So the ones that do seem to be more successful are the ones that are really limited and kind of like make what, whatever context you're in uh, a lot easier to use. And to me, the one that a concrete example that comes up is I use Slack every day and me and a bunch of my friends, we have our own private Slack where we're all a bunch of jerks to each other. And we use Giphy all the time. And Giphy is when you think, you know, I, I never really thought of it as I thought of it more as an extension and less of a bot. It really is a bot. It's going out there and finding new memes that I can slam at my friends with. <laughs> You're so mean, Carl. <laughs> I'm nothing but nice to you. And then you're just see, but if it was a useful bot, it would find it automatically and slam all of you on its own. Well, that was that was that was one question I wanted to ask you was like this this idea of ambient bots. Um, you know, I, I wonder if like Cortana and, and the, or I, I should say like some of these other these devices that are listening in your home, um, if they're going to get to this point, like if we're just talking and I'm like, hey, I wonder how many people live in Salt Lake City. You know, it'd be not it'd be creepy. I mean, at first, but I think I would love it to just be like, hey, I, kn- I know the answer to that. It's, you know, 200,000 or whatever. Um, I think that'd be pretty cool. And I think in uh, like a Slack channel, even that would be that would be pretty useful to, you know, you're having an argument about something like I think it costs one hundred dollars. No, I think it costs fifty dollars. And then the bot would just come in and be like, well, I did some research and it's seventy five dollars. You know, I think that would be really I think cool. we'll get there. I think we'll get there, but I think that's a comfort level when it comes to security and privacy. Um, we have once, once we're kind of at, um, covalence as opposed to surveillance and we actually know the data that's going back and forth and what's being collected and how it's being used, we might get a little more comfortable with that. But because of all the privacy and security concerns, um, we don't, we, we have to have that wake word, uh, before turning on a device. Yeah, the next the next logical step would be to, um, you know, I'm arguing with my wife. Like, you said this, and she's like, "No, I didn't." And then, and then, like Alexa, like chimes <laughs> yeah, Alexa. in, and it's like, actually, Jason's right. <laughs> you did say that. Uh, that could be. I don't know. That'd be an interesting future. <laughs> so you want Alexa to lie to you is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, then I could I, I could hack it. It just always says that I'm right. <laughs> well, that wouldn't have to be a lie. I mean, it would just be telling the truth at that point. <laughs> 
Um, so you, you kind of mentioned, you kind of mentioned bots kind of chiming in on, uh, on their own. Yeah. And, uh, obviously we all, we all know what happened with Microsoft's Tay, uh, the, the Twitter bot that they had, uh, they actually did a replacement, but it's a Skype bot. It's called Zoe. Yep. And that one will do proactive messaging. So it'll actually prompt you every once in a while. Oh. And it's quite annoying. <laughs> so I don't know how much you actually want a bot to interject into a discussion unless it's absolutely, you know, going to answer your questions for you. Um, but proactive messaging, at least in chats is something that you can you can definitely use to set up services in order to uh, relay information to you without you having to activate the bot or use any sort of wake word. Yeah. Um, so we do have at least that technology. Okay. I think it needs so to be it, super confident is is the key. Like you don't want somebody walking over in the middle of your conversation and they catch like the tail end, you know, and then they say something stupid and you're like, yeah, that's not what we were talking about at all. Like you really, it, it should be very confident in its answer and only speak up at that point. In my and, that, and that's not actually the bot. So the bot is... So, so especially with the bot framework, you're talking about really building out dialogues right. and it's kind of the shell to build and manage that dialogues. When it comes to actually understanding what you're saying, you're talking about using a natural language processor. Right. And that's when something like, you know, Lewis comes in to play in the cognitive services in order to basically parse that language and determine what the user's intent is. And it's, it's really, I mean, I got to, I got to hand it to Microsoft when it comes to the bot framework and the rest of the cognitive services is they're making it really easy to integrate those services into kind of baseline applications so that if you were, if you're creating a bot, you can, you can, you can do it on your own with a bunch of prompts. And again, that's like a choose your own adventure thing. You could try to use regular expression intents, but once they get too complicated, they're really hard to manage. So then you kind of jump on the Lewis or maybe you jump on using Q&A maker or even some multiple, you know, Lewis models. And that, that kind of really enhances your bot. And if, if you can, if you can successfully parse the language with a natural language processor, then when you're designing your bot, you can actually start to figure out what can this user experience be like? What am I focusing on? And, you know, can I build that killer app? Yeah. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. All right, so you've mentioned a few times Microsoft Bot Framework. What, what exactly does that do? Because you just, you just kind of explained what Lewis is and what Lewis does. So what does the Bot Framework give us for, as a developer? It's, it gives you tooling. So it's, it's almost like a translation service because it actually allows you to create a bot using one specific language. And that then allows you to deploy it to multiple channels. So it's really um, bot framework in and of itself is almost like a REST service. You set your bot up and it pings back to um, to the bot framework. And that kind of translates one JSON format to another JSON format, one language format to another language format so that you can then deploy it to my uh, Facebook Messenger, Slack, um, you know, WeChat, GroupMe, Skype, Teams, and even Cortana. Um, so whereas a lot of chatbot software, chatbot building software focuses on here's how you build a bot for our service. Microsoft really went the extra step and they said, how can we allow you to build a single bot for multiple services? And of course, then you can leverage Azure for deployment, which is drop dead simple. 
Um, and initially when they built this out, I mean, when, when originally when they built it, it was kind of an internal project Then Microsoft, I believe, I think like two years ago, you guys had Dan Driscoll on and he talked about how this was an internal project that they then released. Um, and, uh, when I was at the MVP summit, uh, with, they showed us some of what's coming along with SDK four and, um, when they did kind of put the bots together, they had a C-sharp library, it had a JavaScript library, and they kind of went in different directions with some of the ways in which they handle things. And SDK4 brings that all back together, and they've introduced a Java um, SDK, they introduced a Python SDK, and, and they've really kind of refined that service. Um, and it is uh, the, the changes that they're making are great, but it's the services around it that they're building that are really kind of enhancing it. Um, they did a lot of tooling, uh, command line tooling, in fact, such as uh, MS Bot, um, Chat Down, Lou Down, and these things, which you know, many people I haven't heard a lot of volume on people saying, you know, oh wow, this is awesome, but I think they're really game changing. Um, in particular, chat down. So we talked about uh, bad user experience, right? And we've seen a lot of examples of bad user experience when it comes to chat bots. Chat down is, is a markdown style language that allows you to basically type out conversations in a very simple, easy manner. And when you run the chat down uh, command line utility, it then translate that, translates that into the JSON format that the bot emulator can then read. You can then load that transcript into the bot emulator, and it'll actually show you what that conversation would look like between a user and a bot. So you don't you can have a team who's adept at designing or designing conversations can actually use that language and use that technology to come up with scenarios that can be run by stakeholders, or it can just be viewed and we can say, okay, yeah, this looks this looks great, or or no, this isn't this isn't quite working out. So when it comes to prototyping, you can prototype really quickly. And then when you're ready to build it, you just build it based off of what you've seen uh, in, the, in those transcript files and in the emulator. And you're really kind of ahead of the game as opposed to building out an entire you know, chat bot and then suddenly deciding, wait a minute, this user experience doesn't quite work out too well. Yeah, I, I actually got to see that a couple of days after they had like a working prototype. That was like, it's like a year ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Um, so you did talk about some of the, the languages. One thing I did want to ask about, though, one thing that I've had a lot of discussions around was um, if you don't have an Internet connection, is there anything that you can still do? Um, have they built any th any functionality around that or does it always require an Internet connection? I'm under the impression it's always going to require an Internet connection okay. at this point because you are – I mean, okay, let me rephrase that. You can You can build a console bot that is run through the command line. Right. But – when it comes to actually building out um, chat bots that require services, you are you are basically deploying your chat bot um, to an endpoint. Okay. Uh, for for example, the Node.js SDK, you're using Restify, which is a like yep. a subset of Express.js, and and that is how you kind of set up your endpoint that the bot listens on, um, and then you have to deploy that. So yeah, I will say that you can take that example, you can modify it and make an offline uh, bot. Obviously, it can't connect to the online services like Skype or anything like that. Um, I had actually issued a pull request at one point. It got a little bit out of date. Uh, but I created a pull request that allowed you to do um, offline bots. That was one of the reasons why I asked you that. <laughs> 
I mean, the, the problem with pulling it offline is now how do you connect to the services that are actually going to run your your, your yeah. uh, natural language process? Yeah, so this was actually for um, a custom integration with some software, you know, so they could have a, a, mm-hmm. an offline bot to basically ask the system. It would basically run in degraded mode if it was offline. Right. It would be able to answer some question, some more basic questions. And then whenever it went online, then it could ask more complicated questions. It had access to Lewis and things like that. So... <clears throat> When I'm interacting with bots, there's definitely, like we had mentioned, there's very simplistic bots and there's more complicated ones. And the simplistic ones, you can just kind of like ask it a question and it answers it. And the more complex ones, they kind of have context or state of the history of what we've been talking about. Is that something that you get out of the bot framework or is that something that I as a developer have to bake in myself? So it it depends um, and, and it depends on what you're looking for. So if you're doing just simple question and answers, that's just a, a bot that's using a service, probably like Q&A Maker, um, which simply allows you to, to utilize question and answer pairs in order to find the best match and, and answer that. If you, if you want to maintain context, uh, that's when you would kind of use Lewis in order to identify the intent. And then when, once you've identified that intent, when, it re, when that service returns to your chat bot inside of the dialogue that matches that intent – you then can use what's um, at least in the uh, in the Node.js SDK uh, they use a waterfall pattern. So inside of that, it's an array of functions, and it'll get that answer in that initial one. So now you have at least the starting context of what you were talking about, and then every answer thereafter then drops to the next function, to the next function, to the next function. And so you have to maintain that state, but by using the other services, you're able to kind of narrow down that focus to specifically a certain subject matter. And then you can, you can continue your questions off of that. Um, and you can do, again, you can do multiple, multiple, uh, intents inside of Lewis for, for different things. Um, so one of the examples, something that, that we're kind of building out as a prototype here at work is we have, we're rebuilding all of the medical education software. And so we have many apps. So we have like 14 different applications. We can actually use a chat bot, uh, and we can use Lewis. We can use Lewis to identify which part of the application somebody is actually looking to interact with. So maybe they're looking to schedule an appointment with their coach or something, um, based on the language that they've they've typed in, we can then parse that and say, okay, well, they're trying to schedule an appointment with a coach here. I'm going to send them back to the dialogue that manages coaches. And then inside of that dialogue, I can ask additional questions or I can refer back to previous states uh, in order to gather more information. It really comes down to managing dialogue flow, Um, not just the user experience, but also internal in your application. You need to be able to effectively manage from one dialogue to the, to the other in order to build a truly useful chatbot. Yeah. You mentioned that Q&A maker before. Is that so that's built like what is the relationship between that and the bot framework? It's a service. Okay. Uh, so in fact, I think they just I think they just uh, came out came out of preview. Okay. Um, so now it's internal and so you can still go to Q&A maker.ai um, but you'll set up all your services inside of Azure. And it is an endpoint. And basically you would connect to that endpoint inside of your bot and you would send in the question that you're asking and then it would return you the answer. Yeah. Um, so it's a very simple way to effectively do question and answer pairs. There's, there's some, I mean, a lot of people like the idea of it and they're like, great, I can just stand up a, a, a chat bot on our website that can answer you know, all of our questions. We don't have to have a search. But then again, you, you do have to kind of go back to the, to the idea of, okay, well, why are people at my website and are they used to actually using a search? Right. 
So does it make sense to have a chat bot that does the same thing that the search is, is doing, or am I creating an extra step and therefore rendering the chat bot useless? Um, so there, there's, there are some instances where doing the Q and a maker really makes sense, especially if you have like a certain factor help context within, within your bot, um, for usage or things like that. Uh, but you have to be careful to not overutilize that just because, Hey, it's this cool thing I want to do, you know, for question and answer pairs. Yes. But like you had uh, mentioned earlier, if, if you are offering a service that might be covering multi-generations of, of, of user groups, you might be having a generation that would prefer a chatbot as well as a, a customer profile that would prefer to use a search. So by having both, um, you could easily, uh, cover more of what people want then. Right. And, and that younger generation might not actually be going to your website at all. Uh, younger generation might be looking for a cell phone app or they're existing within chats all the time. So if you did have an MS dev show bot, um, again, we did, we did a, we did, I did a quick test with a part with an RSS parser. Basically you can build an MS dev show bot where basically somebody goes into it and says, Hey, what's the latest episode? And then it returns an audio, um, control, a rich card, an audio rich card that you can then press play and actually listen to it right there rather than through, through the podcast or what is the latest post or, you know, what part of the country is Jason at right now? So all of that information is there in the contextual chat um, for somebody who wants to do that. They probably won't be going to your website. Um, so to your point, that is correct. The younger generation might never get there. Um, but then you have to kind of weigh, weigh the risk and rewards of, of actually building that out. And what additional services can I provide? Yeah, I, I would think that analytics would be super important here because you want to you want to be able to see what's effective and uh, see where people, you know, because. I think most of the bots that I go to, I'll ask a question, it gives me a stupid response, and I close it. Like, it would be useful for the bot creator to know that. Uh, yeah, and they do have analytics. And, in fact, we were uh, – when we were at the MVP Summit, one of the things that they mentioned was they had increased the the number of intents you could create in Lewis from, like, 100 to 500. Yeah. And then directly after they said that, they were like, but we don't recommend that you actually create 500 <laughs> intents because it's going to make it unmanageable. Yeah. What you want to do is actually integrate your bot also with Azure Search. So whatever your bot can't handle, use Azure Search to handle that. And then use your analytics to determine, okay, what are the top five or the top oh, that's a good 10 idea. Yeah, yeah. questions that are being asked? And and then you can make an adjustment to your bot based on that information. That's kind of a better way to manage that rather than trying to to account for everything that's sent to your bot. Well, then actually update your frequently asked questions. You know, like I, 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 where, <laughs> where was I? I was, I was on a frequently asked questions page recently. And uh, I don't know. I can't remember what it was, but it was something like – where I had to pay for a service, but they didn't tell you the price and you go to the frequently asked questions and like, it, that wasn't the answer. That wasn't what I was actually looking for, but it was, I promise you the thing that I was looking for was the number one question that they get and it wasn't on their FAQ. <laughs> so use, right. And, yes, and you use might your not analytics. get those analytics, yeah. right? Yeah. You're not going to get those analytics on a website, but you would through a bot. And yeah. you mentioned FAQ on a website. The cool thing about Q&A makers, actually, that in addition to you uploading, say, maybe I want to type manual type in question and answer pairs or I want to upload a CSV with question and answer pairs, you can actually give it a URL and it'll attempt to parse it and parse out the FAQ. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really quite effective. And, uh, there's only been a couple of times where it's been unable to parse what I've put in. Um, but that's handy, you know, so if you already have pre-existing FAQ on your website and you actually want to parse that information out and just plug it right in, you can, without having to retype in all that. So what format, what data formats work best? Like just like raw text or does it handle, you know, semi-formatted, uh, things like XML and JSON or... 
Uh, for, so for the file uploads, I think it's mostly asking for CSV or Excel. Q value pairs, I mean, you can you can go directly into QnaMaker.ai and you can actually type them in. Um, or obviously, it parses the HTML directly from the website. Um, and, I'm a, and the reason I think why it I, even pulls out of P- PDFs too. All right, because the reason why I ask is because on our website, I don't think a lot of people know this. If you go to pretty much any URL we have and do .json, uh, you'll get like a, a dump of the page in, in JSON as the data that we're feeding it to generate it. Uh, so yeah, I'm an XML guy, so yeah. Um, what did you w- which I get? You said you're an XML. Guy. I'm an XML guy. Yeah, <laughs> this is over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're talking before cancel the interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't get it. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Sorry. Continue. Carry on. <laughs> Um, I did, I did want to know, like, um, what I wanted to ask you kind of at the end here, like, well, I I have like two main questions. So one is like, how do I know when I should build a bot? Is there, is there sort of a litmus test for, for when I should build one? And then I'll have another question after that. You can build out as many bots as you want. <laughs> so yeah, prototyping yeah. them is very easy. Okay. And I really encourage so anybody just, to get so involved. I should just try it is what you're saying. Just jump in. Yeah, you, sh- you should certainly try it. The, the litmus test that I kind of use is I have to figure out what exactly am I providing and can I provide it best in a chat bot? Yeah. Um, one of the things we have, uh, we're building out here, there's, there's a, a, something called entrustable professional activities for medical students, um, where they have to prove that they're entrustable and every university is, is basically bringing online some form of, um, evaluating this. And a lot of them are going kind of the mobile route and we have a progressive web app that does that. Uh, but usually it's a multi-step process of, you know, I fill this out, I click, I fill this out, I click, I fill this out, I click. And I've discovered through just playing around with chat down. And again, this is where chat down kind of comes in handy, um, that you can actually create a better user experience through a chat bot than you can through a mobile application. Um, so if you can create a better experience or if you can create an on par experience that a younger generation might be used to, that's when you're kind of onto something. Yeah. Um, but again, I highly recommend utilizing chat down to prototype that out first uh, before you start building anything. And if you can build something out that takes less steps, that's your key. Yeah. And then I, I have to imagine that you use lots of bots. So, you know, you talked earlier about having this, this bot that, that tracks packages, for example, um, which I should have thought of that and I should have been the first one to build that. Uh, but the, I'm just wondering what, like, like, first of all, like what application do you access your bots through? Is it like Slack or Skype or, and then I'll ask my next question. <laughs> I, I, I use it a lot in, in Skype. Okay. So, uh, so you're in Skype, Skype for a lot of things and you have 50 bots in there. Like, is, is there, no, I don't have it. So I went through almost every single bot that they had. Um, when they initially announced the, the Skype bot directory, which I think no longer exists, you actually have to, well, they still have the Skype bot directory, but you used to have to, um, submit it to both the bot framework and to the Skype bot directory. Um, and this is where I kind of came across the UPS bot, which tracks packages. Yeah. And, um, I went through and I played with a lot of them and there's a lot of novelty ones. Take this image, mash it up with this other image. Um, there's some news ones, provide me the latest news. And to be completely honest with you, a lot of those that I downloaded, I had since removed because they're not more effective than the things that I can do online or the things that I can do in a mobile application. Um, so the key is trying to find those ones that you will use on a regular basis. Um, 
but Skype just happens to be the text messaging application I utilize the most. Yeah. I will tell you this story. This is a, this is a good usage of a commerce bot, um, that somebody should build, uh, or at least Facebook should build. So, I, um, I was having, uh, dinner or lunch or I was having lunch with my wife and there's a beer store right next to, um, where, where we were eating and there was a beer that came out. It was called, um, Biggie S'mores from a, from a local brewery. And I'm like, man, I wonder if they, they have that. And I'm sitting there eating and I'm like, let me, let me look up, you know, to see what their hours are. So I looked up on their Facebook page. It showed their hours, but it actually had a little icon next to it. It said, you know, messenger. And it says usually responds within, I think it was like a half hour or something like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I don't like to call people. I don't want to talk to people yeah. on the phone. So let me just send a message and see what happens. So I sent them a message, you know, Hey, do you have this beer? And I got a message back relatively short period of time. Yeah, we have that. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll be over after I'm done eating. If that were a bot, I could have not only asked for it and it would have searched the inventory. I could have purchased it right there. It could have told me exactly where it was on the counter. And then I could have just came and picked it up. And maybe in the future, Amazon could have just drone delivered it to me right at the table, you know, while I was eating. So, so there things like that is where you can kind of find that, that niche for, for, for commerce. Yeah. I guess. So my, my, my question really was though, you know, so you're, you're, let's say you're chatting with that bot, you know, Hey, do you have this beer available? And now you want to track a package. And now you have to like, now you have <laughs> yeah. to look through. Yeah. So, so maybe they are delivering the beer, let's say. Um, so now you have to go like find this other bot, right? And, and like your Skype list. And it's like, oh, what was that thing called again? Was it package tracker? Was it UPS? Like, what was it? Oh yeah. It's called, you know, I track stuff, you know? So you go to that and, and then you have to ask it a question. Like, is that. Is that really the future? Like it, that, that seems really complicated to me. Like that, that's the part I keep struggling. No, I with. think, yeah, I think, I think that could be to a certain extent, limitation of the way Skype handles, um, contacts, uh, in, in Slack or in Microsoft teams, you can always pull that person into the team room or pull that person into kind of the Slack channel or pull that bot in so that you can communicate with multiple bots at once or send bot and inf- send information from one bot to the yeah. next bot. So I think with something like Skype, you have to end up in a situation where Skype enables you to pull a secondary contact or bot into a conversation, or you could have one bot communicate to the other bot, um, and say, you know, Hey, you know, beer bot, go ahead and, and, and contact the, the drone bot so it can deliver it. Um, so I, I don't think you'll be, jump, you'll, you have to jump around now, but I don't think the future is continuing to jump around. I think you'll see smoother transitions between those conversations based on how the applications that actually perform those communications evolve over yeah. time. Because ultimately I just want my bot and I want to ask my bot, Hey, does this bar have this beer? Uh, Hey, can you do this search for me? Uh, can you turn down the temperature at my house? Can you track this package for me? You know, like that's what I want. And I, I'm just, I'm still kind of in shock that that doesn't exist. <laughs> and well, I think what you're looking at, so when you look at Alexa or you look at Cortana, yeah. those personal digital assistants. So when you build a bot and you want to deploy that bot to Cortana, you're basically creating a skill. Right. And so your bot becomes a skill yeah. inside See, That makes more sense so to me, Cortana, yeah. So Cortana manages multiple skills. So Cortana is your personal digital assistant in which it could interact with all of these different skills or all of these different bots in order to to create that combined experience. And you may eventually see that on your phone, even if it's not voiceless or even if it's not voice um, enabled, it could be a chat enabled one that allows you to do kind of the same thing. That's what I want. Because I want it to know who I am. I want it to know how to talk to my stuff. Like I wanted to have all that context and just have a long running conversation. And then even the next day, like, 
hey, what's the, is there any status update on that package? Or in that case, actually, it should just be proactive, right? Like, it should just be this yeah. long-running conversation. It just says, oh, hey, that package you tracked yesterday, like, it's going to get delivered today. Um, and it's just like, it's just like this best friend that I talk to, and it knows all the stuff about me. <laughs> and then it builds you an Iron Man suit. And yeah. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? Guy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so personally. Yeah. I think we're getting there. I think it requires more data and I think it requires more uh, comfort level with what's being recorded. Um, if you have all the data points of an individual, you will get to that point to where they can interact with that bar, with that skill or with that personal digital assistant. Yeah. Um, but it's going to take some time and it's going to take a lot more data before we get there. Okay. Did you have another question, Carl? Nope. I think we're good. Okay. Uh, so, Michael, is there anything else you wanted to mention on bots that we didn't ask you? Uh, no, but I, I will give a there's a there's a core group of um, very good uh, Microsoft MVPs and community members who are who are very passionate about this. People like Gary Pretty, James Mann, Michael Washington, um, uh, Joe Mayo, uh, Robin Osborne. Um, you can usually find them all on whether it's the GitHub for the for the bot builder tools or even on Twitter. Um, and I encourage anybody to just seek out any one of those people. If you want to continue to communicate, find them on Twitter, um, because it's a great group of guys that are extremely passionate and the bot framework team is extremely passionate about what they do. And everybody's more than willing to kind of help out and, and collaborate together. And they usually respond in less than one second. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't know if it's a bot or not. <laughs> oh my God. It's just like the out of office reply. Like, whoa, they respond. Oh no, they didn't respond. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so let's move on. So let's move on to the Azure pick of the week. So Carl, I had no idea that uh, that this was rolled out of build, but static website hosting for Azure Storage now in public preview. Which is awesome because our website is a static website. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I, you know, sometimes these things kind of creep up and you don't realize the impact that they could have. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I know you like containers and that's why uh, that you know, our website is in a container right now, but it would probably make a lot more sense to have just a static website hosted in Azure storage. And, uh, we just go from there. Yeah. I, so I don't know why we haven't done this already. <laughs> like it's, we can literally yeah. throw our files into there, uh, put a domain name on it and call it a day and, and it scales to infinity. Yep. So if you look at the documentation, uh, when you have a storage account, there's actually now a checkbox that says, you know, is this going to be a website? And then it gives you, uh, you know, the URL or whatever. And there's also documentation how to uh, configure custom domains as well as HTTPS. Yeah. Well, and, and, yeah, and I, the I think end. the one caveat, I think the one caveat is that you have to do the HTTPS over the CDN. Correct. Um, yeah. Right. That's fine. We'll do the CDN. We'll be have worldwide availability. It'll be super fast. So msdevshow.com is going to be super, super awesome. Yeah, I mean, our site is 100% static, which is funny because uh, Carl was mentioning before we actually have what we call an API. <laughs> like you can, It's a static API. Yeah, it's a static, <clears throat> it's a static API. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, one new feature I was actually going to add to that too was uh, if you go to msdevshow.com slash like, you know, one, two, three, um, I wanted to pull up like that episode number so that we can refer people to that episode number. Uh, in we can still do that. I mean, these are all just, it's all just static uh, files. Uh, it just basically creates a, a redirect. So it's amazing actually what you can do with a static site. So I'll throw on the blob storage and uh, maybe on the next episode, I'll report back and, and see if there's any gaps here. And then Carl, what do you have for the app pick of the week? What is this? Kit. So this cloud. For, 
Yeah, QIT.cloud is a website that was created by another podcaster, Joe Zach from Coding Blocks. And uh, what it is is he finds himself in in the situation where he learns best by podcasts. So sometimes if he's learning a new technology, uh, let's just say it's PowerShell, he built this tool where you can just type PowerShell in and it'll show you all of the podcasts that it has crawled that are about PowerShell. And then you can add them to a queue and then right in the browser um, – uh, you can just listen to all of the PowerShell content, just like cruise through it. And it has enough of the things that you want in a podcast player, like you can speed it up and so on and so forth. And I believe it's also a PWA. Awesome. So not only is he teaching himself new technologies, but he's building out this really cool tool for developers. And uh, obviously, if you put in PowerShell, you see like three or four MS Dev Show episodes that pop up on the list. Yeah, this is this is super cool. This is great for for learning new technology. So, if you search for bot framework, we are going to show up uh, with this episode soon. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> cool. And then Microsoft Font Maker. Yes, uh, Microsoft Font Maker is an app in the Windows Store that just got released, and this allows you to, if you have, uh, you know. A stylus. I'm not sure if it works with a mouse, but if you have a, a stylus and a tablet, you can you know draw your own font in your own handwriting. And uh, uh, I'll have on the website uh, my own handwriting, uh, where I just took uh, VS Code's changed the default font to my handwriting, and um, you can see what like some of our markdown looks like uh, written by me. Very cool. Yeah, your writing is better than mine. Like it's it's legible. <laughs> <laughs> I think computers have ruined me. Um, every time I have to oh, they've write ruined everyone. I know. I'm just like, I'm like, well, my wrist does not function. You know, I will say, so you write all the uppercase letters, lowercase letters, number, and a few, you know, symbols. And my hand was cramping by the end of that. So. <laughs> okay. So one down. Computers have ruined us all. Cool. Cool. So Michael, where can people find you? You can always find me on Twitter at Zul, S-Z-U-L. Um, um, I'm, I communicate with a lot of people that way. Okay. Um, and then you can also find me on my website, uh, codepunk.io. Uh, and that's kind of uh, where you can find all the podcast stuff and blog posts, et cetera. Very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. And Michael, thank you so much for coming on here and having a conversation around bots. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> this was uh, this was really cool. Like just kind of chatting about uh, all the different technologies around this. Thanks for having me.